Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to All Stats, Aren't We? A podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Ellen Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Tom Alderson, the apology go by Willie Nonto of the podcast. Thank God we didn't send him down mines. I'm joined today by the rutter goal of the podcast, Martin Riley. You all laughed at me. Well, I have to say, you're not laughing now. And finally, I'm joined by the Jamie Shackleton flying boot of the podcast. Flying higher than all of our dreams is Adam Elliott. Adam, how are you doing? I'm great, mate. I'm great. I'm glad to be the boot. It was potentially, even though we had seven goals on Saturday, the funniest moment in that entire game, the, the funnest moment. It was absolutely brilliant. And like I forgot it kind of happened. And then Hobbsy kept going on about it. He's like, someone please find a clip of this. And then we were all absolutely losing our heads. It was so funny. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Um, glad to be the boot, like I say. And how are you, mate? Are you all right? I'm pretty tired. Like, I've... Just I don't know. I feel like I've just had a pretty busy bank holiday weekend, and it's just caught up with me, which is probably the opposite of what you want to do, having three days off. But yeah, yeah, all good. Thank you, Martin. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, I had a busy day today. Went over to York and uh, took a couple of the kids to the um, Yorvik Viking Centre, and yeah, so it was, na- it was a nice day out. While I was out, I had some halloumi fries and chips um, for like a, a, a late lunch. So I haven't had my actual tea yet. Um, so, but I'm still, I'm not hungry, so I'm, I'm all right, but it's good. It's good. I had for tea and we were discussing this before we came on, actually. I had something that I described as like resembling a spag bowl, but with no spaghetti and not quite a bolognese sauce. So just make of that what you will. Like, so not a spag bowl then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like near yeah. a spag bowl. It's like a, probably like a sort of cousin of a spag bowl. That's possibly probably wants to try and count it in some way. Yeah. We'll see. I reckon. <laughs> yeah. Adam, what about you? What did you eat? Oh, I had, um... So um, they were shop bought. They weren't like a a kebab shop one, but like lamb kebabs, uh, koftas, like amazing on flatbreads, tzatziki, loads of like spicy veg on it. It was it was amazing. Olives, all the all the works. It was delicious. Sounds very good. Right, let's do a brief discussion of the news. Um, I'm going to start with someone we've actually signed, and then we can go into all the rumors because there's <laughs> too many of them, and I've kind of lost interest to be honest. Um. So, signing of Joel Pirro, obviously he has played a game for us, so it's a bit easier to make say what you make of him. He's also scored for us, which is good. Uh, but Martin, what do you make of this one? I'm absolutely delighted with it. Um, it was one of the players who I've most looked forward to signing for us, and it's one who I, I maybe thought may, may have been one that we maybe might have not been able to get done. It's not really leads to bring in a proven goal scorer when we need a proven goal, goal scorer, really. So, yeah, I'm absolutely delighted with it, and he's got off to a, a great start. Um, yeah, I'm just very, very happy with it, and I've got something in the in the works on him. Uh, it's a bit more about him. I know we've all, already seen him play, but there's just some more things that I wanted to get out in case we don't see it all soon. Very good. Yeah, when I saw the news kind of come out, like, after I've actually struggled to follow any sort of transfer news from like probably Wednesday last week because I've just had quite a busy week at work um, and I saw it just briefly on Twitter when I was on a break and I was like it seemed pretty close I was like this is very unleashed United for a striker to be looking close to signing to us like what, what's the catch here uh, but then it, it went through and I was very pleasantly surprised which was good um, right so there's a lot of other potential signings that are being discussed 
like I said, I've kind of just stopped caring, and I'll just see who's here on Saturday. Uh, but Adam, do you want to sort of summarise for us what what the hell's going on? Yeah, where do I start? Basically, I found this thread on Twitter, and I, it's from my mate Chris, who's the uh, leads all over uh, account. And if you want to have a look at it, I would I would go and recommend looking. But um, basically, yeah, it's crazy at the moment with only like what four and a half days left of the window. We've got Nadia Mamiri, loads of conflicting reports about him from Bayer Leverkusen. He might be in the UK right now. People think he is. We don't know. We've agreed a fee. We'll see what happens with that one. There's a lot of talk about Jed Spence at the moment, which I think would be an excellent signing on loan. Um, both Phil Hay and a couple of other journalists at the Spurs end have been saying it as well. And you've got Glenn Kamara, who might be on the verge of signing, according to Fabrizio Romano, but we're not 100% sure about that because there's other reports about midfielders like um, Tanaka from Fortuna Dusseldorf and Batista Mendy from Angers. As I say this, this could all change by the time you're listening to it and we might have even signed a midfielder, so who that actually knows at the moment. Um, and then there's a, a few other bits and pieces as well. There's been a lot of conflicting reports about Pantsil from Genk, Joseph Pantsil. Um, will he stay? Will he go? You know, and we're not sure again yet. Like Some people are saying it's dead in the water. Some people are saying he might still sign for Leeds. And then the, the newest one is uh, Luke Thomas, Leicester City. So we've obviously think with Charlie Taylor this window, a, a left-back option. Um, but Luke Thomas is also a left back and, and has been linked with us from Phil Hay again, um, which is a little bit of a strange one because you don't really see why Leicester would want to, you know, give a player to a rival potentially at the top end of the championship. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on and I suspect we'll probably end up seeing at least three or four signings before Friday. Um, touch wood. Uh, but yeah, uh, it is quite exciting and, and considering it's kind of part time my job to do this, <laughs> I shouldn't really know. So yeah. A lot, a lot going on. I don't know whether you guys want to talk about any of those or, or any that you're particularly interested in. Yeah, that's, I think the ones that we've been linked with, um, I think I'm probably most excited for Jed Spence. I think, uh, yeah, he's he will be a great addition to the squad and would really be that option that Fark will want at right back. Um, he's, he's great in high and wide spaces and he, he just leaves fullbacks behind with the, with the pace that he's got and his ability on the ball to just dribble him use, use, use his feet left and right it's great so yeah he's one who we're definitely excited about and I've watched a little bit of uh, Amiri as well and he looks like he would would be a great addition as well I've not had a chance to watch Kamara or Thomas or any of the, the ones that have been linked to as yet so th- those are the main ones that I've saw and approved but it seems like most of the signs that we're looking at are, are good I wouldn't have problems with any of them coming in. Um, Pantsil is, is an odd one considering how many wide players we have. He's a different profile to the wide players we've got, I feel. Um, more of a, a threat in behind, like a type, type of a Mo Salah winger rather than a ball to feet winger like we've got with our other options. So I, I think that could be one that will come in expecting one of the wide players to leave. At least that's my, my interpretation of that, of that rumor. So possibly there could be another outgoing. I'm not sure who it will be. There's a few players who are, we've even had Jorginho Rutter, who's been linked, linked with, um, is it Marseille? Leon. Leon, Leon. that's it, yeah. So I can't see them being able to afford what we would want for Rutter. Um, I know they're bringing in quite a bit from one of their players who's leaving, but I, I think they're in quite a bit of a mess financially, and I'm not sure if they would be able to afford us. We'd definitely be wanting plus 30 million for him. I'd say at least 35 million, considering what we paid for him only last year. So, and we don't need to sell him. He's still got loads left time left in his contract. He's got no clauses that could hurt us, so they'll have to put a big offer down. So, I don't think that one has too many legs, but we'll see what the window brings. Yeah, I was going to say, has he has he got a loan out of it in him, or is he like, will we just have we run out of international loans yet? That's that's the main question. He's under twenty three, so I don't know if he counts. Oh, great. Okay, <laughs> uh, that's okay. Keep an eye on that one then. Um, f- for me, out of those players, to be honest, the only one that I've watched is is Spence, and I'd be very happy with that. He's he's very good. I think he also would suit the role of a right back in this team more than Ailing would and I think that would make a massive difference I think if anything he's actually potentially I, I say this with a pinch of salt but like he could be a better right back option than Max Aarons like he actually could be a a better version of that in this system because he's 
probably a little bit quicker and a little bit more physical. So that recovery pace and that recovery defending stuff, he's probably better at. So he is the one to get, I think, most excited about at the moment for me out of all the links. And I really hope he happens, but we'll wait and see. I'm not sure. There's a lot of interest in him. Yeah. Screw you, Bournemouth, if we, if we come out better. <laughs> have that. My main question on this is more, obviously there's a lot of rumours and it's hard to make sort of sense of which side, which positions we think are going to happen more than anything because we're kind of linked with every like pretty much every position apart from strikers, centre back, and goalkeeper now probably. But we've we're pretty well covered in like the attacking areas now. So you, like maybe we're one one out as you hinted that. But I guess like a centre mid seems like a priority to me, and at least one fullback. But but other that like I don't really know what what like definitely needs happening and what would just be nice to have so i don't i don't know if either of you have any thoughts on that really i'm just kind of rambling to be honest um there's probably quite it's difficult because it's like i i think we still need like that 810 hybrid hope profile in this squad and i think amiri fits into that but at the same time like the way we set up on saturday which obviously we're going to talk about we don't really have that in the team so i don't know whether that's something that fark's going to be able to adapt to something different and maybe we don't need it i, I don't know um for me we definitely need a center mid because we can't rely on like a player like Archie Gray even though he's fantastic he's wonderful but he's 17 we can't rely on him for a whole season so I think you need to like ease the burden on him a little bit with at least one sentiment signing um, and then at least one fullback I agree with you but I I really think it should be sort of three or four players and then any extra on top of that it might have to be a one in one out situation if it if it did happen or anything transpired that's where I'm at I don't know about you Martin yeah I I was thinking similar to that it's interesting what you would mentioned about um the 810 hybrid because that's normally quite a different thing which you see in Fark's system is that it's not a typical 10 which he uses and we saw that Perot was playing kind of behind um, Ruter at the weekend and that was quite interesting to see we'll talk about that a bit more later but yeah I would I did them for myself I want another central midfielder and like you mentioned to give cover to Archie Gray and probably a right back and a left back and then I think the attacking midfielder is probably the least priority because it seems like there's going to be some adaptation to the system that Fark uses to interpret that role a bit differently. So it will be more of a four-two-three-one structure that we use rather than four-three-three in possession, like it would have been, like I was expecting it would be from Fark. Because yeah, so I think it may be a bit of a tweak to the system that we see with with the players that have already been brought in and the players who are already in the squad because we've got such a wealth of attacking talent across the front line that maybe Fax hasn't had that before in other clubs so he's not he's been able to change things in the system for the better so I think that's something to keep an eye on as the season goes on yeah definitely I would definitely agree that I think you need at least one centre mid and both full backs to sort of have the, the sort of basics of what you need for a squad and then anything else is like an extra or a one out one in one out situation like you said is there any other news or shall we talk about the Ipswich game we won we won a game we won a game yeah bloody hell I can't remember the last time we reviewed a win March in the league it was my birthday it was around that time that's how long it's been mate. yeah was it Forest Forest yeah, yeah I, cause I, I went to that game um, and I've I was because I actually my I normally go with my dad and my brother and they couldn't go to that game so I went with two of my mates so they were annoyed that like the last win and my dad didn't go to the Southampton game even before that so I'm not, I'm not actually sure the last time my dad saw Leeds win in person <laughs> <laughs> like it might, it might, I'm not even convinced it was this season or last season <laughs> so um, but yeah nice we can talk about a win it's not not, you're not normally um, so positive to come onto a review podcast which is nice Let's start with the game summary as always then. The thing I've noticed with this one is that I think the last game summary I had to do was the Birmingham game and the same summary was about five lines long and this is literally <laughs> like a bloody novel. So I'll, <laughs> I'll try my best not to fumble my way through it. So the opening 20 minutes were packed full of action with the opening goal coming in the seventh minute for Ipswich. Ipswich broke quickly on the counter-attack. A cross was put into the box which Rodon tried to clear but ended up pull- putting the ball in the back of the net instead. Only a few minutes later, Leeds levelled the score thanks to a wonderful individual goal from Ruta, who brought down a long ball and drew past three players before scoring a well-placed effort. Ipswich nearly scored a few minutes later. However, Byron made a last-ditch block to prevent Chaplin from doing so, and this was followed by Willie Nonto converting a cross from Byron at the back post to make the score 2-1 to Leeds. 
What followed five minutes later was a goal from Joel Pirro, who buried the rebound from a sinister shot, making the score 3-1 in just the 19th minute. And for the rest of the half, Ipswich had the majority of the chances, coming close to scoring a few times. In the final actions of the first half, Drame made a poor back pass leading to a mix-up between Rodon and Melier. This ended with Bro- uh, Broadhead converting a cross from Jackson, ending, ending the half at 3-2. In the second half, Leeds had a spell of dominance, with Joel Pirro having a well-struck shot saved, and this period of dominance continued until Leeds made the score 4-2 thanks to a great individual goal from Sinistera in the 75th minute. Ipswich had the majority of the ball for the rest of the game, but weren't able to create any decent chances. However, in the last action of the second half, Con Chaplin scored with a deflected effort from the edge of the box, and the game ended 4-3. I did realise I've actually missed out a paragraph there, but uh, we'll just have to go with it. You all watch the game, you know when that happened. Um... Now, so as always, we will run through some questions in the interrogation just to make try and make a bit of detail of what happened in the game. The thing I will say actually first is I know Adam, you said that you loved that um, Shackleton his boot going in the air, but Sinistera absolutely flooring that guy for the fourth goal was absolutely brilliant. Like the, the cutouts of that on Twitter were just brilliant. You mean Brandon Williams of Man United online? Yeah, that little switch. scum bastard. Yeah, him. <laughs> <laughs> we were linked with him earlier in the summer. <laughs> Stop scum bastard. <laughs> Uh, question one of the interrogation then <laughs> uh, back to back to business so after the flurry of goals in the opening 20 minutes the game calmed down a lot and it switched with a dominant side for most of the first half why did they dominate both possession and chance in this period Adam? Um, well there's a few different reasons really the most obvious being the, the game state at that point in the game which is that when we're three we're not we're not going to be quite as attack minded and gung ho as we would at one all or even at two one to be honest. Um I think even if it's not a tactical switch, naturally I think a lot of players will just fall back into that right, we've got that, that two goal cushion now. We don't need to start flying forwards. We don't need to attack with so much like verve and, and, and impetus and all of that. Um so that was definitely part of it. Um and I think that the opposite can be said of Ipswich. They probably realised, right, well, they're three one up now. Uh whether we deserve to be or not is another question. But they needed to start attacking us more, and that, that's that's a natural thing that happens. Um, on a more tactical sort of angle of it, um, I think that something they were doing quite well was just moving us around. Um, I think they were passing the ball pretty nicely, even though I, we all did the previews three before, and I was saying that I didn't think all of their midfielders were particularly amazing on the ball. If you press them, I think they were knocking it around us quite easily, and if they weren't, um, and our press was more effective. I think they were just finding ways out, out around it, sort of down the sides. So there was a lot of like long balls put down the channels or, or passes down the sides of fullbacks. Obviously, on the first goal for them, that was pretty evident with Ailing getting caught out of position. And I think our fullbacks positioning and the sort of spacing between them, which wasn't wasn't great. Um, and they were finding really easy ways through us. Um, but also, I think our press just wasn't wasn't that intense. And it's I think mostly down to like personnel and who we had out there um i look at the front four and i see a lot of like attacking quality and quality on the ball but you look at them and you think who's actually like really intense off the ball out of those four from what we know ruter somewhat i would say sinistera maybe a little bit i wouldn't say nonto is particularly intense i wouldn't say perot has ever been particularly intense at, at swansea wasn't much of a pressing monster um, and I think that was that was a pretty stark drop off from what we've seen in recent years with uh, Jesse Marsh, Marcelo Bielsa, and all, all the rest of it. Um, and it's just something that we're going to have to get used to a little bit with Farker as well. I don't think he's a particular intense coach, but I think with the personnel, it didn't help at all. Um, I think that they were were easy to play around, and um, the shape was a bit different to usual too. Like we were more of a sort of four four two or four two 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 when they had the ball. So yeah, I I would say that was maybe the reason they started to like get a handle on the game. We were we were quite passive, and they were just finding it quite easy to just find a way around us, whether that was through us through passing or or sort of like knocking it down the sides of us. Yeah, I think that was my sort of main takeaway from the game. That it's like I absolutely loved that front four. I think like I'm I'm actually quite up for being a vibes team, but um, <laughs> like it just leaves Ampadu and Gray, and then both fullbacks just completely open to like yeah. any runners or like any sort of direct balls through our team, and it's just like it's you you probably will get away with it over a season, but it's it's not again it's like it's not what we're used to, and it's it's yeah it's something that will definitely causes issues, and you're you're not going to see like games where we we'll finish 
like two nil, are we? Unless like a team is absolutely awful at attacking. Um, so yeah, that was that was probably my main takeaway was the the pressing in this game, and we'll definitely come on to that later. Ma- Martin, there was a sort of follow up to this question. It kind of links into what Adam was saying, so I'll ask it here. So Wiggy on Twitter asks, "Why were we repeatedly caught out by a ball over the top?" Melia had a good game, and Ipswich were profligate otherwise, but we may not have been so happy. Uh, so yeah, it's about the bobbing of the top. Um, Fark does like to employ a high line, and that is something which was exposed quite often. Um, especially Wes Burns was making some really good runs um, and putting Byram and then Drame under a lot of pressure on, in the first half, and that was we struggled to get to grips with that. And combined with the front four not really doing a great job of getting a handle on where they were moving around the ball, it just made things very difficult for us. Because if you're going to have a high line, you also need to be pressing to a reasonable degree so teams don't have a chance to play an easy ball over the top. And I also don't don't, don't think the line was held that great because we should really have been catching them out with offside more often than what we were. Um, It's possible that the linesmen weren't that great. I think there were a couple of things which they did miss in, in that respect. So I think we were trying to catch them out with the offside trap, which didn't, considering the linesmen weren't giving them for most most of the time, it's probably something we should have let go of quite early in that half, I think. Well, not early in the half, rather early in that spell after the open 20 minutes. So I think if we would have dropped off a little bit, that may have helped us out in that first half. And the, we'll talk about what happened in the second half. I think that did to a degree happen. That's one of the follow-up questions. So I'm sorry, one of the next questions. So I won't go into it too much for this one. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, that's fine. Um, one question I have sort of like, because obviously you mentioned the linesman, but is it could just be like the case of Rodon and Strauch have only played together twice. That was their second game. Um, wait, we had a change. Uh, when, when did Byron go off? That was twenty-five time, minutes, yeah. something like that. Thirty so minutes. You, so yeah, it yeah. was about almost exactly that. Yeah. So you have yeah, like Byron and then Drame and then Shackleton. Well, Shackleton was second half, so it doesn't doesn't matter. But like, could it just be that the lack of time between all the all those four four or five players? Could that be any factor in that, do you think? Yeah, quite possibly. Um, you do need to build up some fluidity with your back line to make sure you're all know, know where you are and holding the same line so you can catch players offside. That will definitely influence it. But I think even if we were keeping a good line, I, think, I don't think the officials were great with spotting offsides. And there was a few which the call for offside which weren't offside as well, which I noticed. So they were calling ones which weren't offside and not calling ones which were offside. <laughs> it doesn't help when the standard of officiating isn't that great. But it was something which they still could take advantage of quite often and nothing, something wasn't done about that early enough to stop that because they were just taking advantage of it so often. Yeah, I think part of it might as well be like, again, on the pressing is like, if they're getting so much space in those areas, it's something that we're like, you kind of, well, I guess maybe Leeds are used to, but it's something that you don't want to have to deal with repeatedly and that might have caused the issues a bit as well. But that's, just, again, it's just a bit of another guess, really. Um, d- despite this pretty terrible officiating so far, I'm still actually quite happy without VAR, to be honest. <laughs> I'm quite liking it. 
Right, let's move into the second half then, because uh, I'll come back to you again for this, Martin, because you were hinting at it in your previous answer. But um, in the second half, Ipswich continued to dominate the possession, but they struggled to create any chances and didn't have a shot until the 59th minute. What do you put this down to? Yeah, I think there was a change in the way we were approaching it out of possession for the second half. I noticed quite often that our line wasn't as high as what it was in the first half. So we were there wasn't as much space behind for Ipswich to put long balls down. It would have been more difficult for them to execute them, I think. So that helped. And also the front four were defending better out of possession and giving more support to the fullbacks. I noticed both Nonto and Sinistera especially were were coming a lot deeper in the start of the second half in the opening 15, 20 minutes of it. And I think that clearly must have been an instruction which Fark told them to get back and provide that help because it made it more difficult for them to progress the ball down lines and get into good positions to cross, which is what they were doing quite often in the first half. And that change really did help a lot. And I think that's that's what we can put that down to, that they had a lot of the ball because we were... Our line was a bit deeper, and we weren't really pressing them that much either. But because the they were staying, the wide players were staying a bit deeper and a bit wider, it helped to stop them from having that same dominance in progressing the ball to our boxes often. And also it helped that we did defend our box quite well, I felt, in the second half. Yeah, Adam, is there anything you want to add on this one? Not, not too much. I, I agree with broadly what Martin said. But yeah, I, I don't think it was just that we like defended better. I thought we were a little bit deeper and I've also thought the spacing was a little bit better in the second half like Martin mentioned the the wingers coming back to defend a little bit better and and it was a bit tighter across the park in general I still felt like there were some issues with spacing um between Ampadu and Gray at times and I think they were still getting pulled around a bit there was a couple of shots they had or like moments where the sort of space opened up where I thought Gray needed to be a bit quicker to I, I hate Sorry, I, I just had to stop myself there. Criticising Archie Gray feels like a sin at the moment, but I, I would say that was particularly one thing that I noticed about him a couple of times getting caught out. It might just be an age thing with him as well, like not reading it quite as quickly as other players. Um, and yeah, I, I thought we were just a little bit tighter in general and it, it just looked a bit more settled. Um, I think there is something that can be said of like the coherency and chemistry improving with time between some of these players. I think like against West Brom, Maybe we got a little bit overexcited about how like strong Roden and Strout looked. I think they were a little bit more shaky in this game, but I'm also hoping that it's just a case of like Ipswich are just a good team, and we know this, and they're going to be up there, and and maybe it's just one of those games, you know, that that it's not quite as as tight. But yeah, the second half was certainly a, a little bit better. I think the first half, um, in our group chat. I think it was Hobbsy again. He said, like, this felt like the, the Birmingham 5-4 game from a couple of years back. And I, I would agree with that. It felt like it was going that way. But the second half was a, at least a little bit more controlled. And and I think we said on the preview as well, like, we expected it to be, like, a little bit more mid-blocky and a lot more turnovers in the middle of the pitch. And that was maybe happening even more in the second half. But it was, like, the the rest defences were, were a little bit more secure for both teams. So there weren't quite as many chances being created. And it just it just felt like a little bit less chaotic, let's put it that way. Yeah, I, th- I think that the, the, probably the difference is probably like Ipswich are a good team and West Brom aren't with Stroik and Rodon. Um, I actually just had a quick look at the XG numbers and it's fought mob, so I don't tr- completely trust it, but it gives a good idea. So um, Ipswich put up 2.43 XG on Saturday and West Brom put up 0.28. So um, that's probably why people were quite happy with uh, Stroik and Rodon. I know it's like one is a product of the other and a bit vice versa, but... Um, yeah, I think that's why after one game we were like very high on it, and then another one. Not, not I didn't have anything against Stryker Road on to be honest. I'm quite happy looking forward to it going forward. But yeah, I think it's just Ipswich are a good team, and I think um, that's what why, why they end up causing us problems to an extent. Um, right, should we get into details on the pressing then? And I think this is something we've discussed quite a lot in the group chat um, since the game. So I think it's something we definitely need to discuss. So we've had a question about our front four from Will on Twitter and he said the front four as a unit seemed to weaken us defensively today with Ampadu and Gray overrun. Also the fullbacks were left exposed. I foresee trouble ahead if we persist with them. What issues did it cause or did I misread this or did I misread this as the cause of our defensive woes? Uh Martin, do you want to start on this one? Yeah, sure. Uh so the front four I don't think there was really pressing well in concert with each other. I think especially Joel Perot, I think 
that's quite natural. He's only had one training session before, so he probably isn't that aware of what our pressing patterns should be. And that's a big thing when you've got one one player who isn't as well versed in what you're doing. It makes it very difficult to force the ball into areas where you can turn it over and win the ball in that in that way. So that was difficult. I felt Rutter was was quite good on on the watch back. I, I, di- I didn't really see it live, but on the watch back, I was paying attention, and he was doing quite well in some of his movements. So he he was a good part of it. But then you've got Nonto, who wasn't really doing all that much to be honest <laughs> he was quite relaxed in his pressing attitude in the, in the first half which did change in the second half I think he must have been told um, get your act together <laughs> um, but yeah and Sinistera also wasn't really great but he was fantastic on the ball I just want to say that quickly um, but yeah the, it, I think if we do persist with having them unless a lot more work gets done in training on correcting it then it could cause us problems against teams like Ipswich who are good with the ball I don't think there will be very many teams who are as good as Ipswich on the ball in the championship, to be honest. The, the, the teams around us in the top top part of the league or what will be in top part of the league of the season goes on, like Southampton, they'll be very good on the ball and they, but they'll be difficult for us to press. And I think Leicester will be the same as well. Um, but there won't be too many teams. Most, most teams won't really keep the ball or try to keep the ball against us. And we did... Actually, I think this first first game where we didn't have the majority of possession, and we only had we only had forty two percent of the possession, so that tells quite quite well that we didn't really do enough to try to get that ball. But also at the same time, it's part of the game state as well. That's you can't underestimate that part of it. That we were we was ahead for nearly all of this game, and so the front four won't be as eager to win the ball back as it would be if it was losing or drawing. So I think it's a combination of different things, and I think it will improve with time. But I think it is something to consider against the better sides of the league that maybe we wouldn't be able to be this luxury with the attacking lineup, and possibly need to bring in someone like Dan James, which is going to be alluded to in the next question. We'll go into that, and maybe even put in uh, Jamie Shackleton into the front line because he's an absolutely fantastic presser and he's great off the ball. Um, so yeah, that's that's my two cents on this. Yeah, I'm. I'm just going to say on that. I am not having Jamie Shackleton in the front line. We've got those options. I don't care what the press is like or not. We're just going to. We're going to win every game five four. Vibes, vibes, <laughs> vibes. Absolutely vibes. It. I'm. I'm. I'm done with pressing. We've done pressing to death. When Fart went up in his first season with Norwich, I think he conceded about fifty five, fifty six goals, something like that. So it was quite a lot. It wouldn't be surprising if we we're at the top end with something like that as our goals against tally. Yeah, I mean, if we concede free every game, we'll concede like one hundred thirty. So we'll, we'll score two hundred. <laughs> so we don't matter. Um, right. So yeah, Dan, Dan, as Martin alluded to, Dan, uh, Dan Holdsworth of our parish asked us the uh, question below. So Adam, how much did we miss Dan James? Out of possession today. <sighs> Do I have to say nice things about him? No, it's fine. Um, yeah, James was the big one, wasn't he? Um, I think he could be a useful sub in a lot of games this season for that reason. Um, when you are leading and you need to sort of still have that intensity to keep them at bay and, and whatnot and, and sort of trigger the press, he's going to be a, a really good option for that, a very viable option. I also agree that with what Martin said. Like maybe in those those tougher games when we might not have as much of the ball, it's not going to happen that often this season. Maybe again, it's something to consider. And his pressing intensity and and intensity off the ball is is so good. And 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 like we do talk about him a lot on this pod, and we have in the last few years. But at the same time, something we we should consider is that he is quite popular with a lot of his managers and has been over the years. And maybe the reason is literally just because of like how good of a, a sort of runner he is. And, and what I mean by that is he's he's really fast. But he's also got a really good engine and he's also a very good presser. So that combination of three means he just covers so much ground so quickly all the time. Um, and I do think there is something that could be said for that in particular games, scenarios and game states and, and against particular opposition. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I I agree that he was a, a miss in that sense, but at the same time, I don't really care that much because yeah, we weren't as good out of possession, but at the same time, we had that front four that was probably better than quite a few you know attacking lineups we fielded last season in the Premier League, um, and that's exciting, and that's what you want to see. You want to see goals, so I'd rather win every game four three than than one nil. Um, I'd rather have that that sort of excitement, even if it you know. 
sort of <laughs> gives you a bit of a heart attack uh, four times in the game or whatever but it's just it's a more fun type of football to watch isn't it but yeah James James is definitely something to consider uh, it's just that he's not got that same like that differential with them all as, as some of the other guys and and that'll happen this season and where those guys are, are important because you know they they have those moments in them where we might not dominate and and we need one of those we need to rely on one of those to to dig us out and if you have four of them which we did then that's really good and and yeah so so James is going to have his uses in some games but obviously these guys are going to like be the difference in some games as well and and having all these profiles in attack now is actually really good it's like it's, it gives us a bit more balance going into the season uh, the rest of the season for, yeah, for what it's worth like I am in favor of playing Dan James in certain certain like game states or like as a sub or even starting him in like games against Southampton and Leicester and like other big teams but perhaps just for a little bit more element of control um but yeah, like, like with the Jamie Shack thing, why, why would you play Dan James in attack if you can just play those other good players? I think I think another element of it was, and I can't remember who mentioned it earlier. Maybe it was you, Martin, when we talked about the second half. But if if we find ourselves in situations where we're ahead and we can drop off, then the press suddenly isn't as crucial and isn't going to cause us as many problems. Um, but I guess that's like very much a game state thing that you have to be ahead to get those. And then what happens if you? end up going one or two nil down because they've managed to play through our press. So it's kind of a, do, do you do you rely on that or not? So, and I, I don't think, because I, th- I think Fark, is, he's always played a high line as he, so he's not going to go and sort of play deep and hit them on the break. We're not going to turn to that sort of team. But it might be a way of potentially game, game state coming to favour again. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 something, it's something good to keep an eye on this one because if we do persist with this front four, it'll be an issue in multiple games for sure. Has anyone got anything else they want to say on pressing? Just because I know there's quite a lot to talk about it. So if there's anyone else has any other points? No, I've got it. No worries. Cool. Let's move on to um, another question from someone from All Stats, aren't we then? So Jacob Stambridge wanted to know how we felt about Piro and Ruta did in this game and referred to the comments from Falk in his presser below. So um, the interviewer asked, I don't know who actually was, uh, said it was a surprise to see Joel playing slightly deeper than Giorginio as the ten. Can you talk us through the tactical setup? And Falk responded, "Well, we want to be flexible, and Joel has got the quality to keep the ball with a bat to the opponent's goal to turn around and find a pass. We also wanted to have the running of uh, Giorginio in behind because he is quick, mobile, and smart in his movements. We got the feeling if we can use this relationship between them both, Joel is also capable to link the play and find the movements of Giorginio." It could then be beneficial, but we can also we can still be flexible and also change it in a, it a little bit. Also, for the future, we'll be flexible in going forward. But today, we've got the feeling that it was the right choice. Adam, I'm just, what do you make of all that? It's interesting, isn't it? It's it's really interesting, especially what you're saying about flexibility um, going forwards and and things like that. Because um, Pirot is not the archetypal eight slash ten hybrid that Farker looks for, as we kind of alluded to at the start of the podcast. Um, Amiri is much more a profile like that and the one that could like drop into a 4-3-3 shape or, or players to sort of like most advanced player in a 4-2-3-1 shape. Instead here you have Piro who, okay, he has some of the sort of creative qualities you might want, like his his range of passing for a striker is probably quite decent and, and link-up play is definitely quite decent. So that makes sense structurally to do that in, in particular games. And, and like he says here, that maybe they felt like it was right against Ipswich, but in another game it might not be when you need to maybe... A different type of player um maybe if it's we're breaking down at low press you might want Piro further up and, and an actual creator behind him but in this game obviously it worked and out of possession it, it was kind of like a a more 4-4-2 shape where he was kind of in line with Ruta I would say um or dare I say it was more like a 4-2-2-2 where they were the two most advanced um but in possession it was certainly more of that 4-4-1-1 where one would drop and one would would go further forward and we saw that quite a lot and we saw them swap a few times. I think there was um, a particular chance that I remember Perot getting where he hit it into the side netting, uh, where he was the one that ran beyond and Ruta was a bit deeper. And I liked it. it. They worked really well as a pairing in tandem. And I think it gets more out of Ruta as well, because I think he is better as a striker in kind of a front two uh, rather than a sort of lone striker. And with Perot sort of giving him a bit more support and, and someone to bounce the ball off, I think it, it worked really well and it suited him. Even though, even though I'm very much on the on the sort of stance with Ruter that I think he's more of a wide forward. Um I think that in this kind of scenario he can work well and I think he did. Like he 
Uh, he rightly got man of the match for me and he was excellent and, and Perot was too. I was really impressed with them in possession when we had a few moments and, and that was good but I do think that the intensity was a little bit lacking and, and maybe that just comes with time. Um, I, I remember that you could find a few clips from it if you really wanted to where they both seemed quite static as kind of a two when they had the ball and they weren't really engaging the centre-backs too high and I found that a bit frustrating but maybe it's because I'm used to like the last three years of of um, Leeds United being one of the most intense teams you know, in English football, really, um, but yeah, they they did they did dovetail quite nicely, and, and I liked it. And I'm, I have to say, like again, it's kind of a, a certain scenarios and situations thing, but it's something I'm I'm more than fine seeing. It's just that it's it's not what I kind of envisaged Farkas football going into the season like looking like. Um, so maybe it's a little bit surprising, but I think at the moment he is just having to be flexible with what he's just got at his disposal. Like he's kind of having to play whatever hand he's got given to him and. And in this game, it was, right, I've got four really good, five, in fact, because some of it was on the bench, five really good attackers. I want to get four of them on the pitch and, and just vibes it. Yeah, I think that that was my takeaway from it as well, uh, in a similar sort of way, Adam, that is it like um, Farkas having to be flexible because he's not at the time with the players and the time just in general with the team? Or is it that he's like sort of giving them a base to deal with a certain opposition? So in this one... Um, Piro and Ruta play together and in some sort of tandem and that works because Ipswich are going to play a more open game and then perhaps in the Sheffield Wednesday game where they're going to sit deeper we might see Piro play as like a more traditional nine and then have a ten with a bit more creativity behind to sort of try and unlock that defence because Ruta isn't going to do that is he and they might you might find that it causes us issues in attack not having that sort of player there so I don't know it's like it's it, there clearly was four behind it, which is good, I guess. Um, but it, I'd I'd be interested to know if it's something we'll see going forward. So, um, Martin, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, first of all, I absolutely loved the partnership that they both played. Um, they were interchanging extremely well, uh, just knowing when when one was dropping off, so the other one could get forward. And there was so much interplay between them. And Rutter, it was great with his runs behind. I felt that was something which he's done, done a lot better in that game than what he has done in previous. But it does also help that there was more space, which hips which were leaving behind for him to attack. So it felt more natural for him to make those runs. So that helps a lot. And we may not see that as often in other, in other, other games where the opposition is sitting a bit deeper. So it'd be interesting to see how that, that goes as time goes on, like you mentioned, and being flexible with the attackers that they use. But I think Perot himself makes a lot of sense to play in the attacking midfield position. He's so secure on the ball and he's got a good range of passing and it just makes sense to use him in, in, in that position because also he can make those runs from the attacking midfield position beyond and Rutter can drop deep when he does that. So it's just a, a great chemistry that they can get between them and to say this is the first time that we've seen them play with each other, that that really that really bodes well for the future because attacking partnerships need to build up over time and if that's what we've seen from the first instance, imagine what it's going to be like in 20 games. So if that does, if that partnership does get used a lot, we don't know if it will or not. It depends what other players get brought in. If Fark wants to try to go back to his more traditional, more of a 8-10 hybrid for that role, we'll see what players get brought in to accommodate that, and that, that may influence how the rest of the season is going to go. But for now, I'm extremely happy with the way that's working out between them, and uh, I, hope, I hope it continues to improve um yeah, I think, Adam, you have something else you want to mention on this? Yeah, there, there was just one more thing, which was that I, I agree exactly with what you're saying about Ruter and the way he was making more runs beyond than he's probably done ever at any point in a lead shirt. But also the goal that he scored, I think it needs a little bit of, of commenting on because that particular type of goal is, is more, maybe not like beating three players or whatever, but the sort of movement where he's moving from out to in is something we've talked about a lot on this podcast with him and how that is how he works best, where he can kind of drift into a, a wider area and then come in field. And that's exactly what he did for this goal. Like He was kind of on the right side of the box. Um, just outside of it and he, he sort of beat players and came inside and ended up a little bit more central to to finish into the corner um, and that's that's why I think we'll see him do more if he plays as a winger which is why I'm, I'm, I love the fact that we have him as a profile and I hope we keep him because I think we can use him in so many different ways now we can use him as a wide player we can use him as a striker that can, can kind of just roam and drift and I think the reason he had a bit more freedom to do that was because Pirot then he knows is going to kind of stay central and do a bit more maybe like pinning and, and stay in the middle um, and I yeah, I just think it worked really well, like you say. And, and for one game, you know, like to do that and then 
against a good team as well. Let's see what happens in, in you know ten games when they've had a bit more time, maybe to develop as as not even necessarily a pairing, but just even understanding it on the pitch at the same time. I'm really excited. I think uh, just kind of linking back to what we talked about the news at the start. If we could get like an eight or a ten, it would feel like we would have like such a mix of profiles in that front four that I guess like there would be depending on the, who which profile was there the opposition managers would know but like you've got someone like Ruter who could be in one of probably three positions in the front in the forward line and that's like it's difficult to plan for um, and especially if they're interchanging as Piro and Ruter were and then you can have wingers that can play on both sides even through the middle if they're forced to that it's just nice to have options and if it feels like it's a long time since if we ever have in well, what feels a long time um, at Leeds. Um, I actually can't remember a time we've had options at Leeds, so I was trying. <laughs> I was trying to remember, and it's like they're not good options, so I don't think they count. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something to look forward to. I think. So, final question then. There was a lot to like in that performance, but what did you both enjoy most, Martin? There's a lot of different things which I enjoyed about this performance. Um, first of all, I want to mention Sinistera. Um, he was. was Absolutely phenomenal on the ball. Um, I know the stats been going around quite a lot about his 100% pass accuracy. And that's just really unheard of in an, an attacker. And he also was quite creative in, in the game as well. So it wasn't just like he was always playing safe options. He was, he was keeping the ball moving and he had some progressive passes mixed into that as well. So there's, it's not like he was, like I said, meant to play safe. He was just playing his normal game, but he's just so very good at all of his actions. He's the best player in the league. <laughs> yeah, that easily, he easily best player in the league. He's, there's no re- reason why he should be playing in this league. And if it, if any of the wingers will don't say was, that, don't say that. <laughs> if the, any of the wingers were to go, what's <laughs> all the wood? Um, he would be the one that I would guess may may leave. Um, but on top of that, I really enjoyed actually Jamie Shackleton at left back. Um, his assist for Sinistera's goal was perfect just literally laid it on a plate for him and then Sin just did that one movement just to put Brandon Williams on his ass and slotted it in perfectly so yeah props to Jamie Shackleton he was great in, in the second half it was such I know the but we had trouble in, in the first half with both of the fullbacks um, Drame as well we've but we haven't really spoken too much about Drame in this I think we've maybe been spoke out with all the discussions in our discord about Cody Drame, <laughs> especially especially Stop. with Adam, so I won't bring up that too much more. And other things I enjoyed, I've already mentioned Perot and Ruter, and yeah, there's and obviously James Shackleton's boot. <laughs> Just to add to it that yeah, there's, there's, there's so many little things going in this game which I enjoyed a lot. Adam, how about you? Um, for me, it's the fact that we played four attackers, which should be among the best players in their position in the division, all four of them, um, and all four scored. Um, and there was a guy on Twitter, I don't know if either of you saw, who put a fiver on him and just won like, I can't remember what it was. It was, an obscene, <laughs> yeah. it was an obscene amount of money. He put a fiver onto all four to score and, and they all did. And Yeah, it was, it was nice to win, but it was more than anything, it was nice to see four players, you know, doing that. And I think Sinistera and Nonto, mainly Nonto, but Sinistera a little bit as well, needed a girl because you know it you know helps with the fans as well don't really want to talk about all that but like it does help get the fans back on side a little bit and Perot getting one on his debut is good and then Ruter hadn't scored for I think it was like 16 games 15 or 16 games um so to get his first spot fantastic and I'm, I'm delighted and and it's it's that knowing that we have like we've kind of talked about those options now going into this season and having so many like differential moments players like it's so useful uh, having all those profiles and a lot of them can play in different roles as Toldo mentioned and then, like even today Somerville he didn't even get off the bench did he I don't think he came on did he I can't remember I don't think he did don't um, think so he was on the bench and, and Phil was talking about him today as a, an option that Fark could see playing as a number 10 in the long term as well like it's just another player that's just really fun that's really good um, and I'm and I'm really excited if, if enough of these can stay fit but this is the thing now with like these players like we can afford to have one or two injuries and still look pretty strong like obviously we can't afford to have like four or five but you know a couple of injuries and we still looked as good as we did on on um on saturday and it bodes well for the future for sure i wanted to ask you this one as well told what, what was your sort of favorite thing about the performance what was your thing you came away from liking i can't really echo what you you both said to be honest um like the, the, having that front four as it, it's exciting it's just 
having options that are exciting as well is just something that has probably never happened in my time following Leeds. So it's 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 not it's nice to have, and if we can somehow keep them all or even sell one, still would be still be fine. That just just go into a season in knowing like you know what we've probably got the best front four in the league. That's like that's always nice, isn't it? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I look forward to that if it happens. But um, <laughs> I'm just gonna like ignore it and hope it's all fine when I when we the Sheffield Wednesday game happens. Just sleep on Saturday. for four days. Yeah, hibernate yeah. and then see what happens. Yeah, and obviously, like I mentioned at the start of the interrogation, uh, Sinistera throwing that scum bastard for the fourth goal was great as well. I absolutely <laughs> love that. Cool. I think we're done then. Unless anybody wants to say anything else about the Ipswich game, there's quite a lot we've said already. So, mm-hmm. um, I will uh, last bit of housekeeping then. So we're recording the Sheffield Wednesday preview immediately after this, and I, I mean literally immediately. Um, so that will be available for our Patreon subscribers on Tuesday morning, and we'll be released on Acast on Thursday, I believe. If you'd like to sign up to support us. Um, to benefit from our articles and our early listening for the preview you can find all the information on that at patreon.com forward slash ASAW Patreon yeah like I've said we'll be back for the Sheffield Wednesday preview whenever you want to listen to that depending on what you've got subscribed to we don't we're not going to talk about it yep we're not even spoken about Salford no Darren Driver says that that's not cup football that cup football is not real football like I'm actually going to that game they're not a real football club no so yeah fuck them so um (laughs) So yeah, we're just going to ignore that basically. Um, I've, I've, I'm actually because I'm going. I'm looking into how to get there, and it's just in the middle of nowhere. It's not even in Salford. It's such a stupid football club. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> all that leaves you to do then is say thank you to Martin. Thank you. Thank you to Adam. Thank you very much, mate. Thank you to everyone to listening, and have a great week. Bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.